Welcome to The Bridge, the official podcast for the University of Maryland Baltimore School of Pharmacy Patients Program. The Patients Program is the bridge between the community and researchers. The Patients Program created this partnership to help researchers listen to the community's voice in order to build a bridge to an effective learning healthcare community. Here's your host, Rodney Elliott. Hello, everyone. We have something special for you guys. Patients Day 2023 was such a huge success that we decided to turn our two panel discussions into podcast episodes. The Copella panel brings together experts from physical, financial, and mental health domains to explore the interconnectedness of overall well-being. This discussion revolved around the impact of physical wellness, financial stability, and mental health. This comes from our panels who are all experts in their respective fields. The aim is to highlight the crucial relationships between the facets of physical, mental, financial, and spiritual health by offering insights, strategies, and tools for a comprehensive approach to achieving and maintaining a balanced, healthy lifestyle. Our guests enjoyed listening and participating in this discussion. It's really wonderful to be here, um, and I am so fortunate to uh, have this panel, which I don't know if you, t you can tell, but when they leave, uh, their shoe game is absolutely amazing. <laughs> so that needs to be said. I, I just can't let it go. So let's, let me start off uh, by introducing you to this amazing panel. So first we'll start with Gail Graham. She's an HIV AIDS activist, and she has dedicated her life to the fight against HIV and AIDS. Gail has served as the director of Mount Lebanon Baptist Church HIV and AIDS ministry serve outreach service for over 24 years. Next, we have Matt Lawrence. He's a former Baltimore Raven and current founder of Lawrence International. Oh, we have a fan. Was it the Ravens or the International? All right. So Lawrence International is a humanitarian organization uh, created to serve people, uh, but he is also an ordained minister. So thank you. And last but certainly not least, we have Luke Cooper. Now he's an entrepreneur, but not just a regular one, a serial entrepreneur, <laughs> growth leader, and author. He's a partner at Latimer Ventures, excuse me, an investment fund focused on supporting underrepresented technology founders. He's also a UMB Presidential Distinguished Scholar. So if you'll give it up for our panel one last time. So we know that mental health impacts and is impacted by um, other pillars of health, spiritual health, financial health, um, and also, so spiritual health, financial health, and what's the last pillar? Mental? Physical, thank you. And so these folks really represent uh, those pillars, and they're going to tell their stories um, and the work and they, that they do with mental health and mental health services through their pillars of health. So I'd first like to begin this panel by discussing and having the panel discuss how they promote mental health. Um, and so I'd like to know what does mental health mean to you, and how does it show up in your life? Sure, I'll go first. I'll go first. 
So mental health is is such a big such a big phrase, such a big word. Um and we're all in community, right? We're all in community at different levels. And so what it means to me is, you know, how tight is your community? Right? So how how tight is it? Uh whether it's family, whether it's friends, who's supporting you in the NFL when you're playing out there on Sundays? It's Purple Friday, right? Whoop whoop. And so it's Purple Friday is community. So when I'm having a tough day at work with the Ravens, I know that I have the Baltimore community to help me, right? And when we win, when we lose, I have the Baltimore community to help. And so what it means to me is support and help. Even if we lose, and I tried my best knowing that there's people around who will still support me at my lowest. And that, to me, has gotten myself, my organization, my folks, just so much farther on a minute-to-minute basis, right? Because, you know, we get carried away when we talk about winning the Super Bowl, right? So we got to talk about this play because, you know, the linebacker's coming to, to tackle me, right? So what's the mental health surrounding each second and each minute and who's around me there each minute to help me, guide me, instruct me to one hold me accountable to help me understand that I am the best and I am going to achieve my goal so what it means to me is kind of those three things accountability accountability being present and knowing that I can do my do what I, I'm here to do thank you and mental health for me is very personal because when I was diagnosed with HIV um, I became depressed. Um, I went through um, a series of mental health breakdowns. Um, and so as I went through those and had to find therapy, um, which was appropriate for me, um, you know, I've actually went into um, Jock's Initiative, which is um, a leading um, HIV AIDS um, center here in Baltimore. I walked in there just crying, and I said, I need help. I didn't have insurance or anything, and I was just broken. And I said, I need help. And they took me in um, that day, hugged me, and found me a therapist, you know, and said, we will work with you. And they gave me services even without having insurance. And so from that, I said, I'm giving back to my community also. So as I'm learning, and through my HIV AIDS ministry with Mount Lebanon Baptist Church, I give that back to my community. So whenever I run into anybody and I see they're going through some things, I can give them resources to let them know that they're not the only one going through it, that, you know, therapy does help, you know, medication does help, um, and that you can, you know, rebound from it. And there's nothing wrong with it. You know, we're already living with the stigma of HIV AIDS. You know, we don't have to live with the stigma of mental health because there's nothing wrong with getting help. You know, that's something everybody goes through but we're just strong enough to admit that we're going through it and we're getting help. Yeah, and, and for me, I just wanna first just take a moment and honor these two stories. I think it's so important to tell your narrative story in a way that's authentic, real, grounded in lived experience and, um, and your reality. And I'm just so thankful to sit alongside these two folks uh, as we build out this program and do all this great work. You know, mental health for, for me means like how you take care of yourself. It's all the things that they were talking about in terms of community, these institutions that we need to, to be a part of the story and the narrative. 
which I think is part of the reason why this, this you know, Coal Pillars program is so important. We're finally getting, you know, these institutions to understand how they can engage with the community in a way that's real, right, in a way that can develop trust. Um, and I think it changes over time, right? So, like, I, I had a real a hard time, you know, uh, forgiving my father growing up. You know, I grew up in Bridgeport, Connecticut. You know, I'm not from Baltimore, but, you know, my kids celebrate Ravens Fridays just like everybody else. Uh, I've been here 22 years, and I came here from Bridgeport, Connecticut. I grew up in Aquanics housing projects, which is one of the toughest housing projects to grow up in in the 80s and 90s. It was, you know, torn down in the early 2000s. But, you know, growing up there, you, you, you are addressing some kind of mental health challenge almost every single day. And our kids, you know, our young adults that are, that, that are growing up in Penn Lucy or South Cary Street or wherever they're, they're at, they're dealing with mental health crises every day. So it's incumbent upon us to form community around them. The way that I do that today in my work, right, is with my entrepreneurs. I, I support predominantly black entrepreneurs writing their first check to become, you know, hopefully, you know, great companies and, and, and do great things in the world. And they come from what I come from, right? So the, what the world often doesn't see is that, you know, the way that they get to the table to begin having the conversation, building a thing from the beginning, you know, they've had to already come through the mud, right, to get to that magical moment. And so the way that I support them is by giving them the constructs mm -hmm. and the empathy that they need in the moment, right? One of my founders last week, her mother died of cancer, right? My, when I started my journey, you know, in 2014 with my last company, my, my daughter was, you know, stage four cancer and she was on her deathbed, right? And so, and we, and we got through all of that. I got through all that with community, great people around me, encouraging me, um, you know, church communities and all those things are a factor. And, you know, very, it, my, my focus for the co-pillar will be around the financial well-being and health of our community because, you know, again, if you're broke, <laughs> that affects your mental health, right? And, and we don't talk about it enough. So I'm excited to have that conversation today and sit alongside these incredible human beings. Thank you. And I'm glad that you brought up the idea uh, that mental health is not just mental illness, but there is you know, this idea of being mentally healthy. Um, but we should talk a bit about stigma because 50% of uh, those who um, do need mental health services don't receive them. Um, and oftentimes it, it could be because of, of stigma. And so I'd love to hear more about uh, misconceptions. What are some common misperceptions um, that you've heard or even experienced uh, when it comes to, to mental health and mental health issues? I'm all right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest stigma I think I've ever heard in my life, right? So, I mean, I can vouch for Quantic Housing Project. No joke. I'm from Connecticut. I'm from Connecticut as well. Yeah. Um, but I'm all right. I'll be all right. I'll be all right. It's learn. It's how we cope. It's what we do with two words. It hurts. It's painful. This, this is what woke me up. When I was in, in a, was college, that this when I this when I really start to really, really, really want to want to know more, study sociology in college, and get for, and get for real with my community. Coming from Hartford, Connecticut, similar to a lot of inner cities in around in around the, um, the country, around the world. When I was in college, everybody who looked like me knew someone a family member or knew someone who was murdered. Yeah. Yeah. 
What? Everyone. I said, everyone? And then you look around in this room, and everyone. So the answer couldn't just be, I'm all right. So then I was like, okay, well, I've got to get my master's in psych now because this is crazy. Because it can't be everyone. And then my wife is white. She wasn't having those conversations. She was like, murder? That's crazy. Understanding all the mental gymnastics we have to do. So the stigma around it, right, coming back to the question, the stigma is we have to do so much more gymnastics just to get to the bathroom. Or just seeing a brother with a blue shirt because it just, we didn't forget. And seeing our and seeing seeing the seeing the news report every night. Oh, that's 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 you know, you know the, the cashier up at the at the grocery store, that's her brother. Or that's in our community, everyone. And you know, football recruiters recruit from everywhere across the country, and it just was it just was hitting from every every side of the country. And I couldn't believe it. And everybody in there was just saying the same thing. I'm all right. I said, oh shoot. We're gonna have to figure something out. And I've been trying ever since. I've been trying ever since, y'all. So. What about common misperception? I think one of the other stigmas that I hear oftentimes, a couple, right, is that um, you're crazy, right? Like if you got mental health problems, like, or you got you have some social emotional challenge, right? Because like again, the environments that we come from, you can't have 300 murders in a city and not like be affected by what's happening here. You cannot. You cannot and be and say I'm okay, right? Like as as Matt is saying, but like you're not crazy because you're affected by that. You're human, right? And I think people oftentimes, you know, don't understand how human you are just as a result of feeling and not, and not dealing with it. You know, I think what has helped me over the course of my career is I I've, I've been in therapy throughout. My father went away to prison when I was 12 years old. He did a 20-year bid. Um, but, you know, I had uncles and cousins and everybody else, as Matt is describing, you know, either, you know, killed, you know, because of gun violence or um, in prison behind drugs or gun violence. And so, like, all of, all of that, you know, kind of forced me to think about my own health and my own wealth, you know, what was important to me. I tried to get wealth and I got that. And then, like, I was like, oh, all, everything else is going to be solved. And it, it doesn't solve it, the problem, right? You've got to take care of yourself in a 360 manner. And so I've been, I've t- I take, I have therapists that I see monthly, right? And I think there's, there's, there's always been a strong, you know, sort of opinion about that, you know, or against that, that I think people, you know, sometimes just mis- misread. It is a good thing for you to take care of yourself just in the same ways that you might go to the gym, work out, or, you know, um, go get a chiropractic treatment because your neck is, needs to be adjusted you need to go get adjusted with your therapist too, right? And so I think that's one of the things that we want to keep debunking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, Luke. Yeah. So he has tied mental health with financial health and physical health. You could, yeah, that's wonderful. Um, let's, yeah, let's go to you. You know, they say that what mental health needs is more sunlight, more candor, and more unashamed conversation. Can you explain the importance of destigmatizing mental health disorders and what can we do to help reduce that stigma? That's very important because um, if you stand up and you show that, you know, that you can have mental illness and that you can get therapy and that there's nothing wrong with that, then more people will um, get therapy. 
Um, because, you know, with the stigma that's out there, it's like they think that you're weak. Mm-hmm. They think that you're violent. You know, they, they just, it's just so many misconceptions about it. But when you stand up and say, you know, yeah, I go to therapy every week, you know. Mm-hmm. I do it weekly right now because at this point in my life, I'm going through some things mm-hmm. and I need to do it weekly, mm-hmm. you know. And when I'm doing better, then I'll do it monthly. And when I'm doing much better than that, then I may do it quarterly. But that makes me strong. That does not make me weak because I know the difference and I'm working on it. And so when we go into the community and we can say that, and then other people see that and was like, okay, and she's working and she's out here doing things and she's got herself together, you know, and she's HIV positive and she's been living with it, you know, and she's undetectable and she's still going on, you know. So, you know, we then that's the power of destigmatization of, you know, these, uh, the myth of um, mental health, you know, as much as HIV. But if you still get out there and you just stand up and say that, it makes a big difference, especially in the black community, because that's the last thing people want to do is to admit that they have mental illness. Because, you know, we already have enough on us when people Mm -hmm. see us, you know, the last thing you want to admit is that you have that. So, you know, if we can be, if we can, you know, stand up ourselves and say that and admit that and, you know, then we can help with, um, with that. Sorry. Can I piggyback on that? Because it was so good. That thing was so good. That thing was good. The Ravens, right? So, billion dollar organization, right? If you are a player for the Ravens, if you're in here or if you know someone or if you know someone who knows someone who's like, I'm all right. If you know someone who does not, is afraid of the stigma, who needs to go to therapy, they just witnessed something traumatic, something traumatic, just or just, you know, the Ravens make you go see a psychiatrist. They make you. You need to go because they said, no, no, this life is no joke. We don't know where you come from. It doesn't matter. You will go see a psychiatrist. Trust me when I say that. Because they know the best thing you can do for yourself is have a have an emotionally healthy existence. So I'm just telling you, because you know sometimes if you leave with the Ravens, it might make things easy. So you see, oh, I know, how do you know that? Well, because I talk a Raven. I talked to a Raven today. He said that everybody, the whole team, the whole team has to go. That's community, right? They got to go, but they you know how they, I don't want to go. I, oh, listen. Well, shoot. I talked to this running back today. He said everyone goes. So there you go. I helped you out a little bit. Hopefully, I helped you out. Yeah, maybe if you can get us tickets, maybe we can talk about that at the game. I mean, I think it would be important. Yeah. I know it. And so, I, what's really interesting from what's being said is that there is strength in seeking mental health services. It sounds like from everyone's story, you have or are currently um, in therapy or seeing, seeking mental health um, or services. So just by a raise of hands, me as well, I'm a therapist and I have a therapist. So it shows how, yes, in the audience, yes, others as well. And so it's a sense of strength and a source of strength. So that's wonderful, thank you. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the role of family and community when, it, when we're thinking about su- supporting uh, someone when it comes to mental health uh, needs. Matt, can you 
tell us uh, what you believe, uh, how you believe family and community may play a role. Ooh. Ooh, that's a big one. Family and community, one. Family and sometimes family is community. Sometimes, <laughs> a lot of times, it's not. Yep. Boy, that blood don't make your family. That's exactly right. Right? That community, sometimes they love you better than the family. What do we need, right? What do we need? Like, what do you need? It changes what you need, but when people give it to you, you know what it feels like, right? I talked about a little bit accountability. People don't like accountability. A good family will give you accountability so you can get to the goal you need to get to. But you need, and, it, and it's, and it's going to be grandma and it's going to be granddad, but it needs to be your peers as well. They know some stuff too now. You need somebody to hold you accountable. You need someone. So when I say when you talk about like what is what does family play? It's everything. Boy, when you can't walk, who's gonna carry you? Boy, they can't walk. Come on. Come on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Come on. It's tough. That's it's right. tough, ain't it? So understanding the roles, right? Understanding who you are, what your weaknesses are, what your weaknesses are, what your strengths are, right? I mean, every you talk about hunter gatherer, you have people who cook to cook cook, you have people who prepare, people who make clothes, people everybody has a role. What's your role in your community? If you have not thought about it, think about it because you need to build a community right now. You get one chance in this life. You get one shot. So think about your role in your community and everyone else's role in your community. Because you may, you, you may, you are better. And do not allow people to make you feel like you're not better at something and you've been doing that thing your whole life. Right? So let people understand where you are so they can help you. So you can serve. We are serving. You know I'm talking to these folks after. You know it. Because we need to serve. That's what we do. That's what we're here for. So family and community, that, those are some of the th key things that I, that I think um, play a big role. And I think Matt touched on something really important. I think it, there's a there's a role for the larger community as well, and these institutions, right, to under to better understand uh, the, and contextualize the worlds that from which we come from, right, and how family sometimes means different things for us, right. I believe in extending the definition of family because oftentimes our family is not the traditional family archetype or structure, right. Like I when I was just starting my journey, my last company. You know, I, I hired roughly a thousand employees for that company, grew it really well, all that. But right before I started that company, um, you know, I had tragedy. One of my cousins, a first cousin who lived with me uh, when I was growing up, uh, was shot in the head and killed by my other first cousin who was robbing him from for drugs, right? And who also, at various points growing up, lived with me, right? And so, I, I mean, what, what what investors couldn't understand is like my feet, my legs didn't work for multiple days after that. I just couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't move. Uh, literally, I just could not move, right? And so I think people will, the reaction to that sometimes is like, well, just, you know, really embrace your family in these moments of tragedy, right? But if you've gone through those kinds of traumatic events, like your definition of family has completely been, you know, changed, right, uh, forever. And so I think there's a, there's a role for, for not just, you know, us to sort of invite people into the conversation, and, and really, you know, work on our mental health. But I think there's also, you know, room on the other side to better contextualize and understand, you know, the kinds of supports that are necessary. And that's at the heart of this work. That's what we're doing, right, is to, is to bring it down to a level so that these big pharma companies can understand and contextualize. And we're, and we're actually doing this, right? We had a call today, 
you know, with a big pharma company, and, and we led the call with, with, you know, one of the members of our community who was affected by gun violence. So, you know, this is not just talk, this is real rap. Yeah. Were you going to say something, Gail? Yes, when I think about, um, think about it as far as family, too, it's your family who noticed a difference in you. Um, you know, my best friend noticed when I didn't want to come out the house, you know. She noticed that, um, you know, the way I was. And so she started encouraging me and, and checking on me more. And so it's our responsibility to look at our family and our community the same way. You know, we're close to people. And, you know, it's up to us to, you know, look out for each other, look out for our family. You know, if we look at them and we notice that, wait a minute, they haven't been out. You know, I haven't spoken to them for a while. I need to call them. You know, there's something off. Let me check up on them. Let me go visit them and look at them to make sure that they're okay. You know, that makes a big difference because we do withdraw into ourselves. Um, and if we don't have anybody paying attention, we go further and further into that depression and that mental health issue becomes worse. So when it comes to family and community, it's up to us to look out for each other and to notice those warning signs and to encourage each other to get that help. So relationship building is important and finding your family, finding your community. I'm thinking of the uh, Patients Professors Program. That's a family. I'm thinking of church. That's a family. Um, and so there's several, several families. Yeah, thank you. So Luke, let's talk a little technology, shall we? Uh, times have changed, uh, and it feels like this world is really starting to lean in um, on technology more. And so what, do you, what role do you think technology can play um, when trying to support um, mental health journeys? Yeah, I mean, I think it plays an important role, but in the same ways that it plays an important role, it can serve as an important, um, you know, debilitative kind of tool as well. Right, because like we're just as humans, we're hardwired to just see things and compare things, right? Because that's how what kept us alive for thousands of years, and so it's it's easy to just go online because social media and technology is everywhere to see things that you don't have, right, or that we don't have. And if you grew up in these communities, you know you're black in this country. There's a lot that we just don't have, and so I think that sometimes you know we've got to know where to put that. Right. And how to think about technology from that perspective. But I think technology also has incredible power too to connect us in ways that, you know, we weren't connected before. And so, you know, te using technology to, to sort of stay connected to people and grounded in a way that like, you know, helps each other maintain a level of accountability, you know, is one of the many applications of technology today that I think are going to, you know, continue to be supportive of mental health. Um, yeah, I'll just I'll just stop there. Wonderful. Does anybody else have anything to add before we get to uh, questions from the audience? No? All right, so we're all co-signing on I, I want to yeah. say something. Uh, reach out. That's the tough part, right? We have a part. We have a part in, to play. So because the withdrawal. So when you withdraw, right, you know that's your MO, right? You know that's the weakness. You know it. It's okay. But your family, the ones who you have in your circle, you have to tell you, you know how I do now. When you're having a good moment, you you know how I do, and you can be vulnerable with your family. I say, I, this, that's when I need you. Don't give up on me. And on the flip side, if that's not you, know that about your family member, your community member, and you know that's how they do, and you know it's not personal. 
So when they withdraw, don't take it personal, right? Because now you're doubling up on them. And now they lost a family member. So you know they're coming back, right? And they're not doing it to, 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 to manipulate you. You know that because you know them and it's in your family. So remember that and try not to get in your feelings if that's you, but also understand that you do have a family around you if you are withdrawing to be able to say, hey, listen, fight against, fight against those thoughts and fight against what you have to because people are here for you. That's wonderful. Thank you. So we have quite a few uh, questions from the audience. Um, so I, let's move through all of them. Um, and so let's if you can it. be brief but powerful, let the Lord move you, but in a very concise way, that would be wonderful. Okay, so what motivates you on a daily basis? So we're talking about motivation here. What gets you up in the morning and keeps you going? I mean, I, I think about, so a lot of, on a personal level, my kids, you know, I have a 14 and a 12-year-old, and I, I, I get so much energy from them, and I just, I, I want to deliver to them a, a beautiful world so that they can inherit that and then make it better for everybody else, you know, long after I'm gone. So that's one of the things. But I also think about all the, um, all the all the roses, right, that are just hidden under the ground, right, that just never get there. They're all in the, you know, in the cemeteries, you know, around Baltimore, places like Baltimore. Um, all these, all the lost potential, right, that the earth never really got to, you know, sort of materialize here, right? Like just just in sunshine alone, just like two minutes of sunshine is enough energy to fuel the entire earth for a year. Mm -hmm. Two minutes of sunshine, right? And so you think about all the lost energy and lost possibility and potential uh, of, of the folks who just never got there or who, who today can't get there. So that, those are some of the things that motivate me every single day and bring me back to my, my why. Gotcha. Thank you. Anyone else? What motivates you? Um, again, my children also. I have a 34 and a 36-year-old. Um, but besides them, it's my purpose in life that I've developed. Um, that my God-given purpose that I never knew until I, I developed HIV. Mm -hmm. um, and then I realized that I had a purpose. Um, and then once I started m meeting my pastor, who through meeting him, I met um, Dr. Daniel Mullins, who, you know, once you say something to him, you know, <laughs> that's, that's, that's like the worst thing you could do I'm because... <laughs> So I wake up to, you know, emails and, and you know, conferences and different things that, you know, I'm, I'm privileged to be a part of. Um, so now I'm just waking up smiling because I know what I have to do and I, I'm a voice for, for the patients and I'm a voice for my family. So Luke, and I want to give you a chance to answer. Matt, do you have anything that motivates you? My family. Yeah. My family. Huge. Today's finished Friday. So when I drop my girls off, every day we have a different day. And so today's finished Friday. Make sure you finish. Everybody's tired. Everybody's cranky. Yeah. The little first graders with you are going to be cranky. Yeah. But you have an opportunity to finish in a high fashion. So make sure we do that. Yeah. So, you know, my kids and, that, you know, and uh, also folks in my nonprofit, my kids in my nonprofit, just making sure that we fight, we fight, and we finish. Okay, thank you. So, Luke, this question is for you. How did you get to the point of forgiving your father? What was the revelation or turning point that allowed you to truly forgive? Yeah, I mean, you got to contextualize things, right? In the same way that we're trying to get, you know, these big pharma companies and the folks that want to work in our community to learn things, 
um, they got to learn about us first, right? And un and understand like some of the li limitations that exist within our community, but also why trust has been broken. And when I started to think that way, you know, it just took time, right? Quite frankly, because I, I, I was a young man, you know, in college playing basketball, you know, and going from college to go visit him in prison. And I couldn't tell anybody, right? So like that built up a lot of resentment also in me. But along the way, I just said, well, what would happen if I just changed the story? Just change the story. Meaning that, okay, all this hurt is behind us. You did all these things. You didn't do this. You didn't do what if I just started from the next day and just said, hey, how, how's your day going, Dad? What's going on with you, right? Like, what, what could start from there? And as we started to build that relationship, you know, things were getting better. You know, he, he ultimately passed away, you know, 12 years after he got out of prison. But, you know, I had that, that space of time with him to resolve, right? And I think it's so important. And when you put it in context, it, you know, the Patients Program is an incredible, you know, organization. Um, you know, Dr. Mullins is, is great. But, but like this kind of stuff didn't exist in, the, in 1973, 1978, Boy. right? Can you imagine like there, there, we barely have enough resources today in our community to get healthy groceries or let alone mental health support, right? So like what would he have had available to him in the 1970s in a place like Bridgeport, Connecticut? Nothing, mm. nothing. And so when I think you, when you, when I started to see it from that perspective, I, I, forgiveness, empathy, you know, could, could come in. And I and I could get there in a place to a place of, of real healthy relationship with him. Yeah. So there was another question around medication and therapy. And how can we explain to the black community that meds can be helpful, that uh, therapy, can, therapy can be helpful? Medication can help even out um the, uh, I can't explain it. The um, what goes on in your head that it 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 it, it just helps with that. Um, but also therapy, it's nothing like going to somebody that don't know you, and just spilling your guts. Yeah, you know they're not judging you, and you can tell them everything and get it all out. Um, and then they pick up on some certain things and they come back and then you'd be like, well, yeah, I didn't think about it That's right. that way, mm -hmm. you know, or, you know, they, you know, it may be a good thing or it may be a bad thing, you know, that you did or something like that. But it, it, you know, when they put it in a different perspective, then you'd be like, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. Or I understand that better, mm -hmm. but it's not judgy, mm -hmm. That's right. but you can actually just, you know, you don't have to worry about. You're, you know, it's just you go to somebody that doesn't know anything about you and that you can just go ahead and tell them everything mm -hmm. and you don't have to hold back. You don't have to worry about, you know, but this isn't appropriate to tell my pastor, right. you know, or this is, you know, I want to tell my best friend this, but I don't want to hurt her feelings about this or anything like that, you know, but you can just go and say it. And it makes you feel better. You know, I go in there and I, I tell you, I, I don't think I'm going to cry. I'm in there crying. Mm -hmm. and But when I come out there, it's like, <sighs> you know, it's so much better, you know. And, you know, and he picks, my, my therapist picks up on, he'll, he'll be like, okay, so I'll see you next week. And I'm like, okay. But then when I'm doing better, he'll say, okay, I'll see you in a month, you know. 
And then I'm going, so I don't have to see you next week? And he was like, no, oh, you're doing real good. And I'm walking out, and I'm just proud. I'm doing real good. <laughs> but when I tell him, no, I think I need to see you next week. And then he's like, I'm proud of you because you you picking up on when you when you need help. And that's that's a good thing. So therapy is very important. Um, and I highly recommend it for everyone. You know, it's just something about going there. Um, and they have it now that if you even don't want to go in person, you can do it virtually. Technology. Technology. We even it through. I like it. Yeah. That's right. You know, that's one thing. Thank you, COVID. You know, you you could do it. You know, and that's one thing that saved us during COVID. You could do it virtually. You know, so uh, that kept that kept us sane. Mm. I can piggyback on that. Yes. Um. So I'll start it like this. So I have something with me that's just not quite right. 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 Because that's how. That's how the world will say it, right? But I tell you what, it make me run a hell of a football, right? It makes me run, it makes me get a message across very clear. It makes me be able to focus. It makes me be able to do things better than a lot of other people. But it may not work for a six-year-old, right? It may not work for a nine-year-old. So we're where other people may say it's not quite right, right? It's more of a saying like, hey, medication, therapy, we, what you're good at or how your brain works is amazing in certain spaces, right? It works very efficient in certain spaces. But in other spaces, it needs development. So all of us up here can be amazing. Y'all are amazing at certain, boy, y'all can do that thing when y'all, when y'all but, but, but. When they come over here and the babies and grandbabies start whining, children have seen, not heard, but you, oh, shoot. <laughs> but the, the child has seen something, need she need to talk about it. He need to talk. So understanding that going to therapy helps you in the spaces that you're not excelling in, mentally and, you know, and physically, so you can understand your whole full picture, if that makes sense. And the medication helps with chemical imbalance. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's what I was trying to say. Yes. Sometimes we have a chemical yes. imbalance, and the medication helps even that out. Mm -hmm. So, um, and if it doesn't work, you can tell your doctor, I'm still not feeling right. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with saying that. You have a voice. If, you, if something's not working, you tell your doctor that. Mm -hmm. And they'll be able to stop that medication and try something else. It's the power of your own voice. So, and, and your treatment. So once you work with your doctor, then you can get better treatment with that. But again, it, it, the medication helps with the chemical imbalance, mm -hmm. and the therapy helps with you just getting it all out. So it's like tools. So tools in a toolbox. And so you're just pulling out what you need when you need it. Right. Wonderful. OK, so this is not quite a question. This is a statement, I, dare I say, testimony. So I'm going to read it to you, and then just tell me what resonates for you, OK? It's OK to self-love. It's okay to have self-care, to have Christ and a counselor. Self-care is essential, not selfish. What comes up for you when you hear that? I agree 100%. Okay, we got a cosign. Can you say a bit more? Um, because when you take the time out to just 
take care of yourself. Um, a bubble bath. Um, time to sit and just read a book. A nice glass of wine. No matter what's going on in your life, just to stop and say, you know, let me just do this for myself right now. You know, my key self thing is going to get my nails done. No matter what, no matter what, well, I'm stop. I'm gonna get my nails done, and I feel so much better after that. Then okay, now I can move on and do the next thing. So I, I agree with that 100. percent Yeah, and I, I agree too. But I think it extends even further than that. When I think about taking care of yourself, those things are important, right? Like finding those spaces where you can become more whole, whether it's getting in nature, getting your nails done, those kinds of things. But I think self care also comes in those tiny moments when we're not paying attention, right? And I, and I think just to bring all the work together, right? You know, we, you know we, we work on ourselves and you go through therapy to, to recognize in your own body when things are, are out of line, right? And sometimes you're in a conversation, you're around a group of people, you know, and maybe they, there's something they say that might trigger you or get a reaction out of you. I think part of self-care is recognizing when that thing is not right with you for whatever reason, and either, you know, coming up with tools to, like, either get away from the conversation mm -hmm. or address the conversation differently. Because sometimes those little things, those microaggressions that we might face, for example, will translate into mental health challenges that we later, you know, go, go unaddressed or we don't deal with. So I think it's, it is those other things, the big things, but I think it's also taking care of ourselves in those small spaces as well. We have about 30 seconds. So, Matt, how does this resonate for you? <clears throat> If the masks fall down from the compartment above, put the mask on yourself before you put it on the kids. All right? Your children cannot eat if you're starving to death. You have to have enough energy to cook for them. So if you need to rest before you get and before you cook, you better rest because you got people in your family and community counting on you. Again, put that mask on before you put it on the kids. All right. So thank you so much for the wonderful discussion, the wonderful questions. Could we just give a round of applause to this wonderful panel? To hear more engaging conversations, don't forget to follow The Bridge, your health, your voice, on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you for listening to The Bridge Podcast. To learn more about the Patients Program, visit our website at www.patients.umaryland.edu.